Welcome to the New York Mandate podcast, where we take a look at the costs and consequences of New York's COVID-19 vaccine mandates. I'm Amy, and in this series, I'll be talking with people who have been directly affected by mandates about their perspectives and experiences. I am here today with Kenyon, and I'm really interested to have this conversation because almost everyone that I've talked with on the podcast before has been a public sector employee people who are um, municipal workers employed by the city of New York, and they fall under the the vaccine mandates for city workers. However, there is also a mandate for uh, all employees of private sector uh, uh, employers also in New York City. And that hasn't been enforced in the way that the public sector mandate has been enforced. Um, but some employers have really enforced it strictly. Um, it's, it's been a little more up to the employer <laughs> um, when it comes to the private sector mandate. And so that is your situation because you are a longtime employee of New York University. And New York University has decided to strictly enforce the private sector mandate. Am I understanding that correctly? From my understanding, that's what they're doing. They're enforcing the private sector mandate that was originally um, put out there by former Mayor de Blasio. And Eric Adams has gone ahead and also um, kept it going, even though they're not enforcing it, you said in your opening monologue. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's talk about your situation. Um, it, this has been a long, I think, saga for you, and it's still going on. But um, t- take us back to the beginning. What were you doing um, before the mandate? What, what was before your the job? mandate, I, uh, my title at New York University is a residence hall resource manager. Um, I actually um, always, um, managed day-to-day operations of one of their residence hall, Gramercy Green Residence Hall. And pretty much I was doing my job. Like, you know, before the mandates went into effect, we had to, of course, um, test week- weekly in regards to we did a, a oral, like a saliva test that we would put into a little tube and then get it shipped out to a lab and get back the results on a weekly basis. So um, I was doing my job, like, you know, working at a university, not to get into people's privacy because there is something called FERPA, which is like, you know, provides privacy for students' rights and stuff, but all the students had to get tested week um, weekly and was just alternating by every other day or whatever. So um, I would handle like the actual tests, the samples, like, you know, we had a box for them placed somewhere in the lobby. And, you know, every day I would like deal with the boxes and seal them up or whatever. I mm-hmm. never came across, I never had COVID throughout this entire ordeal. Um, yeah, I was just doing my job as a residential research manager for New York University. Um, when things started to get into, um, when I started hearing talk about a mandate being possible for all the, all the news and the university, I believe it was like last June, we got received the email saying that there will be the university mandating employees to get um, the vaccine, but there will be options for medical exemption and, or religious exemption. So mm-hmm. I was proactive, like I actually contacted HR in late June of last year, sent an email letting me know that I didn't intend on taking any mandated vaccine. And then like beginning of July, I actually followed up the email to HR 
with a 14-page questionnaire that I got um, notarized and sent into HR, letting them know I wasn't planning on taking a an investigational vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, a few weeks after that, I received some um, correspondence from HR saying that, you know, well, no, not HR, it was actually EOE, the Employment, um, Equal Opportunity Employment or, or whatever division it is in the university, saying that um, I had put in for a religious exemption and it was actually given to me with the terms that if the vaccine would be approved, they would expect me to take the vaccine. Um, Subsequently, after that, they sent me information saying that, I guess, after August 23rd of last year, when Pfizer, when they made the big news that the vaccine was quote unquote approved, which it really wasn't, it was just reauthorized under the um, emergency use authorization EUA, um, that they were expecting me to take the vaccine. So, um, I wasn't I wasn't planning on taking it, and I told them that I was I would expect them to go ahead and honor the religious exemption they gave me since the vaccine has not been approved, but. They actually changed the language in our agreement to start reading authorized. And um, that's where my issues came about. The vaccine is personal to me because um, my mother is a recipient of the vaccine, um, two doses. And last Labor Day, she unfortunately had a, um, an episode where she had to go to the hospital for three months. Um, while she was at the hospital, none of the doctors would rule out totally that the vaccine was possibly a cause of um, her situation and um, yeah, my mom had a sepsis infection they didn't know what was going on she was very close to death and um, I actually took three months off of FMLA um, from the end of from December 21st of last year through March 15th of this year and when I went back to work on March the 16th um, I was just placed on unpaid leave and I've been on unpaid leave for over four months now how soon after um, the vaccine did your mother have this? Incident? I want to maybe a couple of months, but I think she got a second dose like in July, mm-hmm. like last July, and then Labor Day had the episode. So um, I've been pretty much dealing with elder care for the past, since November, basically. She got discharged on November 19th, and I've been dealing with helping her on a daily basis since then. So in my personal situation, being on unpaid leave, has left me in a financial bond to a certain extent, but it actually worked out where it's like, I'm able to give my mom care. So right. yeah, it worked out to that extent. But um, I think what's going on in our society is just unbelievable where people are being forced to take an investigational vaccine. And it's like, there's more than enough. Cause basically the purpose of me reaching out to the university ahead of time was most people don't understand. We have a concept of informed consent. You, you're supposed to get informed consent when you're taking a vaccine. So if you want to mandate or to force me to take something, you need to give me information about the said product. And I think everyone that's taken the vaccine so far in the United States is, or around the world, I mean, but definitely United States with our um, regulations is, are considered clinical trial volunteers. Like you cannot force me to be a clinical trial volunteer for something that is, if you do the research, is not as safe or effective as it was marketed to be. Definitely not effective where you can still contract COVID um, after being quote unquote vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So public health officials have always said, um, you know, safe and effective. It's uh, from the beginning. Um, They said it's safe and effective. It's been um, tested extensively. That's not 
sufficient for you. Um, what what would you consider? What well, it's not sufficient can... to me because it's actually not true. Because these these this this COVID nineteen vaccine, whether it's from Pfizer or Moderna or any other um, company, pharmaceutical companies that have produced it, they weren't they weren't tested on animals. This stuff went straight to the 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 the, the guinea pig base, which is i.e. human beings. But I mean the vaccines. I mean, Pfizer documents came out. It's amazing how the media covers everything up. We live in the information age. So if you want to find out information, you would realize that these drugs are not safe and effective because there are they are harms being done. You got a various reporting system, um, vaccine adverse reaction um, reporting system that people are actually putting stuff down. Like I, I know a couple of people who have been harmed by the vaccine. I can't get into people's personal details, but I know a faculty member at the university who has been harmed by the vaccine. You know what I'm saying? So people have been harmed by taking um, these products. Mm -hmm. What would you, um, you know, setting setting aside the those issues that you've seen around you, mm -hmm. just as a general principle, what would you consider to be a reasonable um, amount of information to have or data to have to to be able to make a decision based on informed consent like what's okay well let's how about the ingredients i mean none of these vaccines in their their inserts have anything written down the vaccine that i've been reading recently that they actually are trying to um find a new i guess concoction for the ba5 variant and all these other variants that are popping up I mean, these are if if you according to what you believe, these they could be all these are vaccine derived variants. You know, like I listened to some of your other shows and a couple of points that people made, and I'll go ahead and say it again on this part on, on this episode is that when you took a vaccine when you were younger, right? It was called an immunization series. You were immunized, so. If you took the measles, mumps, rubella, smallpox, yellow fever, when you took those vaccines, it actually provided immunity, meaning that I've never had measles, mumps, rubella. I, my family's from the Caribbean. I go to travel to hot weather climates. It's like I'm protected against yellow fever. You know what I'm saying? I have not gotten smallpox in my lifetime. So vaccines in the past weren't um, produced at warp speed so if i would have to see results like i should have the ability to have the to research data see what a long-term effect of something is like i use this argument if i saw everyone going off a cliff would i go off the cliff too no i think i have enough discernment to realize that hey um a mysterious back a mysterious virus hit the planet um, I'm not de I'm not denying science and all the great minds we have in this world, but they produce something very quickly that is supposed to remedy the situation. And that when you look at the aftermath, even um, what's her name, Burks, one of the White House people from last week, she just recently said, well, she knew that the vaccine wouldn't stop transmission. How are these people still employed? How are these people not being held to account? You know, you you put a vaccine out. Look at our current president. I mean, if you believe he took four shots of this vaccine and still got COVID, then what's the how are you mandating something 
that is ineffective. You know what how, I mean? how was it presented by the university? Like from the beginning of the vaccine rollout, how did NYU talk about the vaccine and why? Well, they talked about it. it in emails as being um, safe and effective. And I, like, I have some correspondence here with them where I told them personally that saying something is safe and effective is not informed consent. You know what I'm saying? That's just a marketing that you're putting on a piece of paper. But um, if you're telling me something that's safe and effective and there's no actual um, data to um, confirm that, then you're you're operating under um, you're operating under the untruths, actually. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So did the did NYU's um language did the rhetoric about the vaccine change over time as it became clear that people were continuing to transmit covid after they had been vaccinated did their messaging change like their messaging didn't change like i think i talked to you the prior um i guess a pre-screening before we did this is that you gotta realize lots of these companies are invested in invested in these institutions like you know they might have stock options with um Pfizer or all these other pharmaceutical companies. I think the messaging was just the same. I understand I understand it from the perspective where if you look at public health and from a university where, okay, you got to worry about your students, but like before the mandate came about, right? We wore masks. We tested, we tested regularly. Dozens, hundreds of students tested positive for COVID weekly, positive all the time. So you were around people that had COVID. Yes, they were being isolated or whatever, but the tests were not even that reliable per se. But if you were going by, I would say saying like, okay, this student is being quarantined. They had to stay in their room. We have staff members who take up water and um, meals for them when the stuff gets delivered. So it's like, I mean, the messaging didn't, we were dealing with it before the vaccine. And even when the vaccine came, people were still getting, um, People were still contracting COVID, so I don't I don't get the whole the the mandating of something that is investigational. Like if it was FDA approved, I would totally understand the vaccine being mandated. Okay, well they are. It is. I know that there's controversy about which version of the vaccine actually has that approval, but the official position is that. There is an FDA-approved vaccine. Yeah, the, the FDA-approved vaccine is Cominati that is not in circulation. No one taking the COVID-19 vaccine in the United States of America is getting the biological license application um, approved vaccine known as Cominati. That will not be, the closest that be approved by the FDA officially is 2025 to my understanding. So like I said, even now the, the drug that the president is taking um, something's all over the peer, whatever, but I think it's that's uh, also excellent. under e- yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's also under EUA. Everything being distributed is being distributed under emergency use authorization. There is nothing being administered to any American citizen um, that is actually FDA approved. That's would factual. That, w- would that really matter to you though? Because you're, what you're telling me is that. You know, this just came on the market. It doesn't okay. have a. You, you're not able to look at long-term data. You've mm-hmm. seen things around you that that, you know, problems, health problems that people are having that mm-hmm. you you are seeing as being tied to the vaccine, right? So mm-hmm. if the FDA came out tomorrow and said it's all 
100% approved everything, would that really make a difference for you? See, the thing is, I don't know if it would make a difference to me personally, but I would say that if you have the, if you have the right to have informed consent for something, I would like to have data showing me that it's as safe and effective as you say it is. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, let's go like this. Let's even go. Let's even go. Let's go somewhere else. Taking the COVID nineteen vaccine that just came to be was not part of my employment terms. So it's like you're trying to force me to take something that is, like I said again, not if they approve. Whether you tell me it is or not, I know for sure it's not if they approve. I got the documents from Pfizer from last August twenty third saying it's not if they approved, but. You should have informed consent. Like if I ask anyone, okay, well, I made some eggs this morning, right? What did I put in my eggs? I put some scallions, some onions, some peppers, you know? I know what went into my omelet this morning, right? Now, if I ask somebody, okay, you took the COVID-19 vaccine, what's in the vaccine? I'll get crickets because they can't tell me what's in the vaccine because Pfizer or Moderna won't tell you the vaccine. Do you hear certain things that what may be in it, but there's, there is no insert telling you um, what's in the vaccine and what are the um, possible side effects of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you're talking about an informed consent, consent means you can say no. Yeah, consent means you can <laughs> say no. Consent also be informed, meaning that I have information to base my decision on. So it's like, if you're not giving me any information to take or to uh, consume, like, how can I make an informed decision on something that's investigational? Like, it, it's illogical to me. It's like, it seems like people have been scared. Like, if you're watching TV for the past couple of years, like, I've never seen anything marketed like this in my life. You cannot turn on the TV and not see a COVID-19 commercial or reference to COVID-19. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, it just seems like um, there's, a, there's a concept in um, audio called a proximity principle, if you tell somebody something over and over again, or you play something over and over again, it actually gets to be enjoyed or likable because that's all you're hearing. So it mm. just it just comes up. So the thing is like, if you're hearing something like COVID, 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 you're gonna get COVID and die. Like, hey, I haven't taken a vaccine. I've never gotten COVID. I mean, I've never, I'm like, you wanna say anti-mask? Yes, I'm anti-mask. I didn't wear a mask during the whole time of COVID outside of Smith-O-Bine, except for going to work. When I went to work, I wouldn't wear a mask on the train. I would put a mask on when I'm walking through the front door of my building, and that's it. And keep it on until I get into my office, and then take it back off again. Go out of office by myself. So it just seems that people are just rather just be obedient, as opposed to using critical thinking to say, "Hey, um, what's really going on?" What did you see? So you were um, involved in the testing process at NYU, and you said you saw a lot of. Uh, students testing positive, a lot of the people around you. Did did you, what did you see though, like during the height of the pandemic, did you see people, a lot of people being ill or was it just- No, I mean, people positive? were just, students, they're just testing positive. So if you get a test, cause to me, you gotta look at the, the, the financial aspect of this as well, right? Now, I'll get back to the university for a second, but look at from when it first, when COVID first started. My brother actually gave up his job as well because he didn't comply. He worked in a hospital here in New York City. Mm. And he worked the overnight shift. He worked by himself, and he didn't see why he was had to be mandated to take a vaccine, right? Now, from the hospital perspective, the diagnosis of COVID was a $13,000 financial incentive for these hospitals. 
So when people are in your ERs or whatever, and they're being admitted or whatever, you can say, okay, COVID, 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 COVID. That's $13,000 per individual. Now, the people who actually been intubated, but I have friends who are nurses, um, I think it was another $39,000 incentive to intubate someone. So in the beginning of COVID, say like March 2020, when things went on lockdown, there was a $52,000 incentive for hospitals to first diagnose someone or admit someone as being a COVID patient. And then if they were fortunate enough to go on a on uh, on an intubation machine or to be intubated, that's another $39,000. So we got to look at the financial aspect. Now, these institutions now, going back to universities, okay, um, we're going to do all this testing. I mean, I won't disclose how much money is actually being, um, how much these tests cost on a weekly basis, but millions of dollars are being spent on testing. I mean, if the government is subsidizing some of that testing for this crisis, I mean, there was a financial windfall for many for many players in this COVID crisis. Mm-hmm. No? Where where are you getting those uh, figures from that you're talking about for hospitals, the 13,000? Oh, that, that, I think that's common knowledge. You can look that up. You could, I mean, you could definitely look that up and find it out. That's not, speak, like, I try not to speak out of ignorance. So you could go ahead and look it up. There was a financial incentive for hospital admittances as well as intubation during the beginning of the COVID pandemic. And those numbers are pretty much accurate. I think 13,000 and another 39,000 for intubation. So you can definitely look that up to, yeah. to insert into here to say like, you know, this person wasn't telling a fib to the, the podcast audience. Um, you're, you're talking about federal money. Yes, there was there was federal money to during the whole COVID um, situation for um, diagnosis or admittance for COVID was 13,000. And then if someone was intubated, that was another $39,000 for that. Mm-hmm. So what, during um, the during 2020, did NYU shut down? What happened? Yes, we did, we did shut down. So basically, I had just came back from vacation in the Caribbean and Trinidad for Carnival. So I came back at the beginning of March. I think it was Friday, March 13th is when everything shut down. That was our last day at work. Um, and physically in the office. Um, the students were on spring break at that time, so they weren't able to get their belongings. So there was an other crazy process where I will be at home on a Zoom camera with um, facility staff um, or living staff, um, admins or professionals who live on campus, basically photo documenting or video documenting people's personal belongings in their rooms hmm. so we can go ahead and get it shipped back to them across the globe. So that's what I pretty much did at home um, from March, mid-March 2020 through late July um, 2020. We returned to the office on August 5th of 2020 before they- any mandate still. So we were back in the office working on campus um, the beginning of beginning of August for the, um, the fall 2020 semester. Did the kids come back then? They came back in the fall? Yeah, students came back in the fall, but operations were definitely different in the fall. So basically, um, the university had to reduce their occupancy in the suites and stuff like that. So um, instead of having, say, a normal st- a studio or normal double room where two people lived in a room, or say you had an apartment where four people were living in apartments, those numbers reduced in half. 
So people had their own individual rooms per se. So um, I would say the occupancy probably were down 50% during that time because they tried it very, they tried it for the best to make sure that there was a one-to-one room occupancy, meaning that was only one person in a actual living quarter, as opposed to having two people, like a, a room where you had two people sleeping in the same room. How did they achieve that? Did they encourage students to stay home? Well, some people, they, 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 well, they achieved people. A lot, of, a lot of parents, I guess, they didn't want to send their kids back to New York with all the craziness. So they were able to achieve that. So basically, some people just not come back to campus. Remember, NYU is a global university. They got campuses all over. So mm-hmm. the students from China definitely didn't really come back, per se. Because, you know, China had their own issues with the whole COVID process. So, um, yeah, they were able to achieve that by basically encouraging some folks, some folks to, even though people came back to campus, classes were still remote remote in the fall of 2020. So it didn't make much financial sense unless you really could go ahead and afford to come back to campus and stay in your room during the entire semester. Like, lounges were closed, that sort of thing. So it was like, pretty much you were on campus, you were on campus in your room, taking classes over there. So all of the classes, all of the classes were all remote that fall. Yes, classes in the fall of 2020 were remote. So what kinds of students came back and stayed in the dorm instead of just like staying somewhere else? I guess students who just didn't want to be around their their families or (laughs) just didn't have anywhere else to live or whatever. I mean, you know, some students just like want to live their lives. So like, okay, I'm going to come back. I'll have a residence hall and I'd rather be close to New York as opposed to being working, um, do my schoolwork remotely. Right. Yeah. Huh. So then, okay. So then that was the fall. Um, it's a, oh, 2020. N- NYU is a semester system, right? It's a semester system. Yeah. So that was like the fall semester. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then what happened 2021? Did they 2021 is when I, I think classes started some in-person classes started back. So basically, they were rotated. So say you had a class, they were reading um, two days a week, maybe one half of the class went to class on one day while they were still teaching remotely with some in-person attendance and then reversed it where the next session would be the folks who didn't go to class, who weren't in the classroom. But for the most part, I think the the remote option was still being utilized in the spring of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um. But you were okay. You were required to go in beginning in the fall of 2020. You in were the fall of 2020 remotely yes. during that academic yeah, year. Yeah. So what okay. was so funny about that is like um, I worked with a team of like three people. So basically, you have a residence hall director, a residence hall assistant director, and the residence hall resource manager. Um, we all have separate offices. We would have Zoom meetings, so we didn't have any in-person meetings as far as administratively during that time. Everything was placed done on Zoom. So you can literally, we would, I would, matter of fact, our office was on, us, on us, the same floor. We would all be meeting on a Zoom meeting, literally feet from each other behind doors. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the modus operandi for um, back to work in person. And you had to wear your, your mask in common places. So as soon as you left your office, you got to put your mask on because you're, you're walking in the hallways, going down to the lobby or what have you, anywhere that you're outside of a personal setting where you're in your own personal office space, you would have to have your mask on during the entire time. Right. 
you you didn't like masks. What what was your objection to masks? Um, I didn't see the the logic behind a mask. Meaning that, okay, most most people I know that got COVID were avid. Um, they wore masks all the time. If you think if you could smell, I'm not to get too rude on your podcast. If you could smell someone passing gas or someone's cigarette smoke while wearing a mask. Well, that mask is pretty much probably not really doing anything. So my objective to the mask is this. I looked at the mask as more about public control mm -hmm. as opposed to public health. You know, like that's, I mean, that's the bottom line with the mask. Like there is no peer reviewed study that can show you that masks prevent you from contracting anything. I understand why people have to wear a mask in a medical setting. I understand why a surgeon may have to wear a mask, but wearing a mask walking down the street when no one is around is idiotic to me. But like I said, they can get people to do anything by fear. The mask to me, it created more problems. Look at how many robberies and assaults you've seen on the news where people have had masks on and you can identify who the hell was the, the culprit or the criminal in the situation. So the mask never made sense to me as far as being something that can prevent you from contracting a virus. What do you see as the reason behind all this stuff? You're saying you think the masks were a control mechanism, the um, the vaccines were, you know, marketed as something that they were not. What What do you think is behind all of that? I mean, there's a lot of theories going around what, what's behind all this stuff. The thing is about control, like, to, in order to, I look at the mask like if you study if you study history and you go back and look at the how masks have been used throughout time, masks have also been used as ritual. So if you if you're hazing people, you're let's say you're hazing a population, right? You want everybody to do the same thing. So I look at it as like one big public hazing. Like it's crazy that it's July, it's 800 degrees outside. I can go. I live in Marine Park, Brooklyn. I can walk outside here. And I'll see someone with a mask walking down the street, like it's eight something degrees. Like when the when the virus first came out, I was like, oh well, you know, in the summertime, the sun is out, it's too hot for any virus to thrive in that sort of environment. Like this, there's, there's so much misinformation being given about these things. But the mask was definitely, like I said, I haven't worn a mask the entire time, except for when I'm when I was actually working, going into my office, and I never caught COVID. And I'm sure there's millions of other people. Um, that can say the same thing. Now, let me show you how my brain works, right? I'm going to go to a website really quick. And this website is Worldometer. And it gives you basically um, up-to-date numbers about a whole bunch of things in the world. Mm. Right? So, mm -hmm. okay, COVID live. All right. According to Worldometer, the amount of COVID cases on the planet since the beginning has been 577 million 608,716 cases, mm -hmm. 6 million deaths, 547 million people recovered, right? Now, I live in a planet with 8 billion people, right? If you have 577 million cases of COVID at the beginning, and some people got COVID more than once, but let's say you had 577 um, individual cases of COVID, right? Because I guess if you got it more than once, that's still considered an individual case. Right. If there's 8 billion people on the planet, right? Let's just do simple math. 577 million 
divided by 8 billion. That's about 7% of the planet that got COVID. Now, I'm not a medical expert to define what a pandemic is, mm -hmm. but if 7% of the planet has something, not saying it could be a cold, but that's a very small percentage of the planet in the biggest grand scheme of things to shut down global economies. Now, you ask me what do I think the purpose of all this is? Mm -hmm. Well, our economy was crushed during that time. I mean, the small man, all these restaurants that closed up, I mean, the Lowe's and the bigger stores and stuff, Target and stuff, these guys made tons of money because they weren't closed. They were considered essential businesses, right? Yeah. But, I mean, if you look at a crash of the economy, hey, how about stopping work? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a global effort. I mean, I don't know. Just to me, we're living in very um, confused times, and I can't believe how many people have subjected themselves to being um, a clinical trial volunteer for something that obviously doesn't work. Uh, are you um, a lonely person on campus? <laughs> no, alone, not, alone, not lonely. I mean, <laughs> I've worked at NYU for 18 years. Yeah. I have great relationships with... Um, no, with but I mean, in terms of this, in terms of this perspective, um, are, are there other people who share your perspective at NYU? I would, I would, I would think so, but you know, NYU is a very liberal institution. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to stay away. Well, you know, we can have... A, discourse anywhere you want it but i mean obviously certain frames of mind think a certain way like some people go along to get along i've never been one of the people to be such you know what i'm saying i've had a fairly comp i had a fair amount of confidence in my intellectual capital from i'm six years old so like i realized there's different levels of intelligence and different levels of perception so people per per um perceive the world differently you know so lonely on campus? No, because certain things is not discussed. People knew that I wasn't taking the vaccine, of course. But like I said, some people are only motivated by the carrot. So you dangle the carrot, it's like a salary. Like I'll tell people, I'll tell people this from the jump. My salary is not worth my health. You know what I'm saying? So it's like if there's a degree of probability that I could possibly be injured by something that is that is investigational. I'm going to side with the responsible. Like, you know what? I'll take my chances without complying. Especially when I, my argument to the university from the jump, and even now still, is that these mandates are illegal. I mean, I believe in the rule of law, and I think eventually they will be deemed illegal. I mean, you look at New York City, um, Mayor Adams isn't enforcing the private sector mandates, and they basically kept these companies in limbo. Because in my in my personal situation, um, there's have been not much transparency about how long my unpaid leave is going to be. I've been on unpaid leave for four months now. And um, in the beginning of June, I received an email from the university, from HR, letting me know that my vaccine mandate leave was approved through the end of August. When I emailed them back, asking for some sort of clarification to um, how long can it keep me on unpaid leave, they sent me a response three weeks later after I sent the email to the university general counsel that the email I received was an error. So it's like you're getting misinformation. Uh, my unpaid leave is to un until further notice. It's like, 
how long is it until further notice? So I know in my case, I'm willing to stand and go along for the long haul with this because I believe everyone who will eventually be terminated or have been on unpaid leave will be either brought back or compensated very nicely. And that's not just in the private sector, that's in the public sector as well. Because um, while they, if they, if like in my case for the university state, if it was legal to terminate me, I think I would have been terminated already. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think like there's no way to just keep someone in limbo unless you don't know what to do. You know, so. What are the terms of your employment? Are you at will or do you have some some kind of a contract through? Well, that's my union or? Yeah, well, this is my situation. Um, I've been at NYU 18 years. In 2009, they had a major reorganization. Sorry, that's my ring, my ring doorbell. Um, I had a situation, the university had a situation where they actually, they put, they did a reorg. Everyone was laid off, and then you interviewed for your job again. But the a job you interviewed for was a, a non-union job. I was rehired. I'm in a new position. And I guess eventually the university lost their case against the National Labor Review Board with the union. And... They lost, but they had already did the damage. They got rid of the static party they wanted to get rid of. And they tried to put everyone back into the union. I told them that I did not interview for a union job when I came back, even though the position was, quote, unquote, covered under the union. But I actually revoked my union membership. So in my current situation at NYU, I pay an agency fee. So I pay an agency fee to the union, but I'm not a union member. So you did not want to be in the union? After being laid off and getting my job back, I didn't want to be in a union because I realized the union wasn't really to my benefit. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, so what does that mean? You pay an agency fee now? The agency what? fee, well, the position is covered under a union contract. Mm -hmm. But if you don't join the union, you still have to pay an agency fee. So it's not a union due, per se. You're paying an agency fee. So what are the benefits of that for you, though? The benefits for that for me is exactly what's going on right now, is that if I get fired, I can take action into my own hand with the university as opposed to waiting for a union to collectively um, seek seek um, recourse for me. But are you, are you, is your position covered under the union contract? Are you employed as a, under the same terms as union members? No, I, no okay. I pay an agency fee. The position itself is quote unquote a union position, but since I'm not a member of the union, I can, that's why I did things on my own to actually send a notarized letter and stuff like that because they, the universities, they're in a pickle with me because it's like, I think they know, hold on one second. I think they know for sure that they'll have to deal with me in court. And I got a very, like, it would be, like, I think I sent you the documents. I received the religious exemption. They reneged on my religious exemption. So my my personal um, strategy against the institution is that you're going to be dealing with me on discrimination in regards to my religious 
um, First Amendment rights to practice free religion and not have my religious belief held against me in regards to being an, um, an employee. Um, also, that the, the that the vaccine mandate is unlawful, and that and 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 per the Nuremberg Code and other um, legislation is like you can't be forced to be part of the experiment. So, like I said, I'm willing to go the route with with my my fight against this institution because it's like um, that I have not been given informed consent. You're not currently engaged in a legal proceeding of any kind. No, I'm not currently engaged in legal proceeding any time because I would have to be terminated officially. Right. Yeah. So you're just in this limbo. I'm in a limbo. <laughs> I mean, I've actually engaged my HR and my managers to terminate me. Like anything they can do to facilitate my termination would be greatly appreciated. And they know this. Like I have been, I've, I reached a point now where I'm not reaching out to the university anymore in regards to anything. It's like, you're going to bring me back. I expect to get back pay. If not, I'm definitely going to seek recourse for back pay. And if I'm terminated, I'm going to seek damage, including harm. Like, you know, this is not basically taking away someone's livelihood over a mandate that is not set in law. Like, people don't understand. Mandates are not law. You know what I'm saying? Like, no matter what you get mandated, it's not a law. It's no legislation. No one voted for a mandate for a vaccine that's not at their approved. So, like I said, I'm just like anyone else in the situation. So, like I said, I, I don't have any kids. Um, I had like a little nest egg where, you know, I put some money aside. That's dwindling. Like currently my cell phone is, I don't have a cell phone. I have a cell phone, but my cell phone's not on. So I have to like forego certain bills because I need to keep my internet on, my television on, my home phone on. You know what I'm saying? I got right. my rent covered. It's like, it's just like, I'm just going through something. I'm being, I call it persecution. You know what I'm saying? I'm being persecuted by my employer because I do not want to take an investigation of vaccine. It's mind blowing how many people are going through this. But I think forums like yours is good for people can hear what people's rationale is behind, behind their decisions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, okay, so you lost your income. You Do, do you retain any benefits being on unpaid? Yeah, I have my medical benefits, so I can your go medical. to the doctor. Yeah, I got my medical benefits. Okay, and you probably had some kind of pension plan or something? You've been there 18 years. Yeah, I got. that's another thing, too. So I'm vested, and that's one of my major annoyances, like, if I was terminated, I could just roll over my money into an IRA and have access to it. Mm -hmm. Now I have no access to any funds in my um, my funds unless a, an emergency happens, like say a death in the family or something that needs some funds. That's the only way you can really access your money um, during this time. So it's that's really another way you're being hindered because if, you, if I had access to my retirement funds, that would be great in a situation like this, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Um, okay. And, and of course, you can't collect unemployment because you're not unemployed. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, have, I haven't put it for any social. I don't get my background, but I haven't re like one of my friends, um, she's a teacher and she went through the whole process as well. She's on unpaid leave. And she's like, well, have you put in for any like, you know, social services? No, I haven't taken any food stamps out, nothing like that. I'm just surviving based on 
a support system. Family, my brother. Like I told you, my brother has a sound stage, a lighting company. So I assist him on weekends to make some pocket change and stuff like that. But no, I haven't. Um, I haven't really even actively searched for other work. I may have to do that soon, like you know, some overnight work, some warehouse work, or something like that. But um, I think eventually. Um, things will come to head and some decisions will be made in regards to I don't think this mandate can stand up much longer. What if it does? What, where does that leave you? Well, like I said, I'm dealing with elder care issues. Like if it was an elder care and having a mom in a situation where she can't walk, where I'm helping her, I would definitely think relocation, like, you know, maybe Florida, um, somewhere that's more friendlier to people's bodily autonomy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if the situation was resolved with the university, I guess meaning they, if they terminated you and you were able to look for another job, what would your options be in New York? Well, my options being in New York would not work inside city limits. So I wouldn't be able to work in New York City if these laws still with this private sector mandate. Maybe have to work in like Westchester, Jersey City, Long Island, you know what I'm saying? I would have mm -hmm. to work elsewhere outside of New York City. So, would you be able to work in academia <laughs> elsewhere? Oh, yeah, I'm sure I can. Like, I mean, I I put out feelers for other institutions in other states, but to see the thing is, like I said, I'm not in a position to move now because I'm dealing with an elder care issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if I would have to get that squared away before I would have to make make another move, but like I said, I'm very hopeful that this stuff gets resolved eventually because I know there's going to be tons of lawsuits with folks who are going to be terminated um, after being on unpaid leave. So the institutions have to figure out what they want to do. Do they want to go through the financial hell of like dealing with all these lawsuits or they're going to try to make some sort of amends as far as like buyouts or something? But um, I don't think people are going to um, just be totally um, screwed. It's like there's no way possible to be screwed. But I'm saying that you can't figure that people are going to be they can't. I don't believe these folks can get away with this. Sorry, we had a little technical glitch there. Um, <laughs> um, no problem. I guess I was asking about uh, continuing to work in ac academia because it really seems like universities have, like, even without ma government mandates, they've been very enthusiastic about requiring um, people to be vaccinated. And I'm wondering if even outside of the city of New York, if you tried to get a job at another university nearby, if if you would face the same kinds of things from, from those employers? Um, I haven't done much research on that, but like I, like I said, I know for, for sure in Florida, there is no mandating a vaccine. So the institutions right. control it. I don't think the institutions, I think it's like what's going on here is a liberal city phenomenon. So New York, LA, big cities like that that are left-leaning who are, in bed with these pharmaceutical companies or whatever are the ones really pushing this. I don't, I'm not sure if most universities in the country have a COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. a COVID, like I said, whether you agree with me or not, if you go to the research, the vaccine is not FDA approved. It is being done as an emergency use authorization. So having something mandated for something that's not FDA approved is very difficult. Legally, meaning that. So I don't think these um, universities across the country totally are all mandating um, uh, vaccines. I think this is probably just like the other ones in New York City, California, et cetera.
Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, yeah, I, I want to ask you a little more, though, about just the general tone on campus and at the university. I was, I was asking if you were kind of a lonely voice in your objection to mm-hmm. the, the vaccine and the mandate. Um, and is that like what was the for people who are outside of academia, outside mm-hmm. of, you know, NYU? What, what was the general feeling about are, are there other people at NYU in your situation? Yeah, there's definitely other people that's in my situation. I know some people in. Other schools, but you know, universities are made up of different schools. So I know people in um, different departments or whatever who are taking a similar stand. Um, we're all in the same boat as far as um, until further notice. Or some people got the documentation I got that said it was an error for people that got their, tar- their time up until August 31st. So I'm not sure what's going to happen after August 31st for the folks that received that sort of correspondence that I mis- allegedly mistakenly received. Mm-hmm. Um, the fall semester begins like end of August, early early September. So I'm assuming the institution has to do something in regards to filling positions. So like in my particular situation, I know that a, a former student employee of mine is actually temping in my position. You know what I'm saying? Which is which is crazy. I didn't think any. I mean, it, it is what it is. We got to make money. Um, as far as the tone on campus, like I said. Academia is a very strange place, meaning that most things in academia are theoretical. Even professors who are like biology professors, of course, they're going to say, go with the science, blah, blah, blah. These folks are being subsidized by the the pharmaceuticals. You know what I'm saying? Um, Groupthink is very... um, um, prevalent in um, in an academic setting. So, depending on what your your ideological persuasion is, um, you'll find a lot of people that agree with you because some people watch the TV every day and they believe everything that comes out of TV. They don't question anything. Like I remember being like in first second grade and you got your current events homework right, and it was like, yeah, you know who, what, when, where, why, and how. Now you look at news reports and stuff like that, and if you ask yourself those questions, maybe three of those questions will be answered in the report, right? What happens to the other two questions or other three questions in the report? Like, So it's like people just get information um, and they regurgitate it. So it's like, hey, the vaccine's safe and effective, safe and effective. And then when you ask people like, okay, well, the vaccine's safe and effective. Um, you got it vaccinated, so you, you're, you're double vaccinated, you're boosted, or you still contracted COVID, how is that possible? No one is like the the cognitive dissonance of you telling people stuff or information contrary to what they believe is amazing. So in academia, you'll have folks who are like, you know, they want to fall in line. Like I have to look at it like this. If I was a student, right, and I finished three years of college and I got one more year to graduate and I told them I had to take a vaccine, I probably would take the vaccine being younger because um, I, I want to graduate, you know? And when I look at stuff, I tell people, like, working in higher ed to me has shown me so many things as far as how easy it is to indoctrinate each generation. Meaning that the student I worked with in 2003 was way different than the student I I, I worked with in, say, 2020, 2021. That's an 18-year gap. So every generation is indoctrinated differently. 
like most of the students in college right now, right? They were all born after September 11th. So they have been conditioned or indoctrinated to live in a security state. Oh, you got to show your ID. You got to take your shoes off to go on a plane. They don't know about life before September 11th. Now you got a whole code generation, right? Now the little babies that were born right before COVID or right during COVID, they've seen people with masks. Seeing someone in a mask is normal. So it's easy to normalize things once you keep it around for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. You know, like even when we talk about COVID-19, like from my rudimentary knowledge of like biology, like there's no virus that's been going around. Like you got a flu virus, it, it changes, it mutates. But the original strain of COVID-19 is not around. But yet you still hear COVID-19 like, okay, you had Omicron, Delta, all this other stuff, but it makes no sense that you're vaccinated for something that the original strain is not around. So the original vaccine is for the original strain. So why would it even be mandated now in 2022 if the original strain isn't around? It doesn't make logical sense, but most people, they can't even fathom that level of logical thinking or linear thinking. It's like, hey, if my government tells me I had to do something, I'll go ahead and do it because I want to get a paycheck still. You know, everybody doesn't live their life like that. So universities are supposed to be the places where there's lots of debate and people uh, question all kinds of things and have lots of ideas that they argue about. Um, Okay, people, people on, on the, you hear a lot from people on the right these days and other people about groupthink, you know, like you're talking about in academia and um, an enforced conformity in universities. Um, I, you're saying that it's true. Of course it's true. Like, I mean, university, right? Well, you break down the word, right? Uni one, first voice. One voice. Every institution has different belief systems. So a Catholic Jesuit university is going to be different than a liberal university. There are certain universities where the LGBTQ community is revered and propped up. There's other institutions where even though you can't discriminate against them, their ideology isn't as prolific in those institutions. So, yes institutions of higher education have groupthink regardless of which think it is but people are collectively around folks who view the world as this i'm not going to get into um disparaging um commentary about you know almost a communistic ideology with certain institutions but you know communists want everyone to be the same like i look at the whole misery loves company now, what they've done with this vaccine mandate and the vaccine is create such a political divide or, or ideological divide in our society where it's like the folks who take the vaccine look at themselves as being almost righteous as opposed to someone like me. They, look at, they probably look at me as someone who is disobedient or just doesn't want to comply. Like, why can't you be like everyone else? The reason free societies are supposed to have diverse thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Everybody can't be the same. So institutions that don't seek diversity in thought 
to me are not good institutions. But you is know? that something? Is that something that you've seen change over time at NYU? From you know the time when you started, is there less debate than there used to be? Is there more conformity? You're saying that this new generation was raised to, in the security state. Um, do, are, do you see more just general compliance and conformity and less? Um, yeah, I think that's change just across, ideas. I, think that's, I just think that's across the board. Like, okay, um, I grew up in New York City in the 80s, right? I was born in 1974, I grew up in New York City in the 80s. There was a time in society where people weren't as sensitive. So you gotta look at this term from a macro perspective. The society has, in my opinion, devolved to the point of where it's at now. You know, growing up, you remember this old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me, right? Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thick skin or the generation I grew up in because words did not supposed to impact you as much as they they do now to some people. Okay, I'll give you a perfect example of how things have changed, right? I grew up in a generation where, okay, you competed, you won, they were winners, clear losers, right? Working higher ed, and I will say probably the last 10 years I've noticed this, but Remember, I work in the capacity as a residential educator. So you're you're, you're teaching residential life to young minds, right? Mm -hmm. So you have resident assistants that work for you. And at the end of the year, you know, you give out awards. It got to the point where, say you have 20 RAs. You got to try to find 20 awards because everyone has to win an award. That makes, that's not sense. That makes no sense to me. It's like everybody can't win, you know? But in our society, we have taught these students so like, okay, every guy gets a, a participation prize. Like, I don't believe in participation prizes. Like, going to the, like, you get into the, the, the quote-unquote conspiracy theory now. Like, you know when Orwell in 1984, Huxley and Brave New World talked about the society that they envisioned moving forward? Mm -hmm. you, literally, you literally see it now because it's like the whole memory holding. You'll see something in the news, and then two days later, the stories that, my matter of fact, let's take the vaccine mandate in particular. If you go ahead and Google vaccine privacy sector mandates, the only news stories you see on that or whatever are probably from like late December, early January, right? Now, well, that story just went off the map now. There's no, no one's covering the mandate anymore because that's not part of the narrative. It was like, you can memory hold or censor whatever you want to censor in our society. So, Going back to higher ed and seeing how people have been indoctrinated or the younger people being indoctrinated, yeah, they don't question much. They follow authority. We have a we have a very obedient class now. And it's across the board, man, what sector you're in. I mean, there's some people who are bold like me or brave enough to me to stand up and to like, you know, believe in individual rights, believe in the US Constitution, believe in having sovereignty over your your body and not being willing to be a guinea pig. And we'll take our stand because it's like, hey, we still have the capacity to utilize our brains as such, as opposed to like, you know what? I really love my job and I need to get this money and I'm not gonna survive unless I have money. Because like I said, money is the carrot. But if our dollar, if our dollar devalue like Argentina back in the day, in the next couple of days, that money is worthless. So what's the sense, you know? Yeah, let me ask you uh, about your international 
perspective on this because you said you you have family in the Caribbean, you travel there sometimes. Mm -hmm. Do you um can you like compare and contrast uh how people outside of the United States that you've experienced have been dealing with the pandemic thinking well, about it? Well, I can basically speak from say my family's in Trinidad and Tobago, right? And Trinidad and Tobago just had their mask mandate lifted July 17th. So for the whole country? For the entire country. But maybe people were forced to wear masks from the beginning of the pandemic until July 17th of this year. So there's some countries that are very authoritarian in the way they dictate things to the public. So from the perspective, like this is like this is a concerted, in my opinion, this was a concerted global effort for something mm -hmm. to have everybody in quote unquote lockstep like they did is mind blowing to me. So like in the Caribbean, like I think I don't want to, I don't want to disparage folks. I look at it as this. There are some folks who in the world who see and critically think and question things. And there are many folks who don't question things. So I don't think no matter where you are in the world, the people who are, more prone to be compliant and behave themselves, do so. Because they don't want to rock the boat. They want to see them as a good citizen. They just deal. So, but the folks, that, and they're always going to be presented folks like myself who challenge authority, who question what they're being told, and are willing to put their necks out for other people, you know? Were most people... Um in Trinidad pretty okay with the restrictions? Uh, is there a, a no, vaccine I mandate mean, there? Yeah, they had a man People, they had uh, a vaccine mandate, but it wasn't as enforceable because of their laws and stuff like that. So a lot of people worked from home remotely during that time. Schools were closed. Like I said, this is a global concerted effort because most states manage their operations the same as far as what restrictions you could have on folks. I'm not sure you're familiar with the Rockefeller document in 2010 or 2011 for lockstep, but this was um, based on a, a proposed or a hypothetical um, global pandemic virus. Mm -hmm. And lots of the actions that these governments took throughout the world were basically based on that document. I could probably send you that um, after this, this interview or whatever, so you can check it out. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Lockstep was a document that was produced and basically many of the things people mirrored, countries mirrored the, the solutions. I'm not sure if you heard about Event 201, which mm -hmm. took place in October um, before the pandemic hit. That was very similar as well. So like I said, it seems like it was definitely um, something that was contrived as opposed to being organic in my opinion. Okay, so... People who are looking at it in the same way that you're looking at it um, see that as a control, you know, a global control uh, seizure. <laughs> um, but other people who disagree with you would say, I think, um, they're just trying to plan for emergencies, right? These organizations, Rockefeller and uh, Event 201, they're, they're, it's just a bunch of... Um, you know, people who are responsible for the public good, trying to plan for a, a pandemic, an emergency, so they can protect people and help people and keep everyone safe. Of course, they're they're planning a, a, a government response to things like that. So, what do you say to that? 
what I would say to that is this. People who are supposed to plan for the public good are usually elected. Um, many people were not elected by anybody. So mm -hmm. these folks are just bureaucrats, um, technocrats, drunk on power, if you ask me. Like, it's amazing that we even have a discussion where you know that the World Health Organization was going to take over certain countries' sovereignty in the again in the event of in the event of a pandemic. Like, how is that even possible when countries have their own constitutions where you would just delegate your power to an international body to do whatever they want to do and come back to this? Like, like even with this whole monkeypox stuff coming up now, it's like, okay, so what? You're going to give your your authority to the world the World Health Organization? Don't we have enough people here that can? enough brilliant people here that can plan for our own issues like when things are being done in the collective state like globally that brings the that brings to light concerns of mine and people like me who don't see um international authority as uh, as being having president over american sovereignty you know so i hear what these people are saying they're supposed to plan but when plans are coming, when things are happening exactly as predicted, it seems more than the plan. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So what's the remedy for that? You're talking about this encroachment of international organizations that are not elected, you know, encroaching upon national sovereignty. What, what, do, what do you do about that? <laughs> well, I mean, in the pie in the sky, um, what you could do about it, is abolish it. Like, what what purpose is the UN? What what purpose is the UN serving? I know. I mean, America's putting all this money into the UN. It's not it's not serving our benefit per se. Um, the World Health Organization. I mean, the, the the I don't know if anything could solve the plans of what's been done already. Like, I hate to be. I'm, I look at myself as an eternal optimist, but when you look at what's going on and you look at some people could call it borderline tyranny what we're living through is medical tyranny whether you realize it or not when you have agencies um whether they're global or local um mandating investigational experimental vaccines then you know you're living under a sort of tyranny and it's like if people want to go ahead and like you know because the thing is this okay when people went ahead and allowed it to happen What's to say, okay, small this whole monkeypox coming up now, right? Will they will they mandate a monkeypox vaccine? I'm not part of the gay community. From the reports, that's like mostly those folks are contracted it. Not saying that it's only for those only the people who can catch monkeypox, but what is gonna be a disease after disease where you're gonna create a new vaccine for something and just mandate people to put something in your body? Like it seems it's mind-boggling. Like you there's normally an ex a period of time where Vaccines go through a trial, you know, three to five years. People, so many people took a vaccine that was developed at warp speed. That's what's mind-blowing to me. Absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, I can't I can't fathom. And I mean, you can fathom because you realize media has a lot of control, you know? You know, so people watch TV, they get scared, and they go ahead and take the vaccine. And they'll have to live with the consequences down the line. Okay, two years from now, if everyone that took the vaccine comes down with this condition that no one thought of, 
because it took a while to manifest and they go away and pass away. Wouldn't that be tragic? But who will be held accountable for that? Like, once you saw Pfizer and them getting out of liability for this vaccine, people should question that. Like, why would you, why would a company um, not have liability for something they're giving out to the public? Mm-hmm. So you're optimistic. You put a lot of hope in legal cases succeeding. Yep, you gotta um, be optimistic. You, you're, you're talking about pulling back from international organizations. How, how would that happen? Is there like a political approach that you have to that? <laughs> well, I mean. I'm not sure what political approach. Like, I, would, I would, well, I'm I study political science. I've been I've been big on politics. I worked on Capitol Hill for a couple of years in the okay. mid to late '90s. I worked at the National Associated Attorney General. I've always been a political um, animal. I love politics. The system in this country now is like you have corporations that run the country. So, big farmers, one of them. Big tech is another one of them. So even like even all the censorship that goes on, like you post anything about COVID nineteen and you get a disclaimer. Like you're living in tyranny when your ideas are being how should I say ideas are being censored, views are being censored. If you're not going along with the narrative, that's being censored. That is not freedom. I don't think this country is made not to be free, and I think there's a lot of people. Um, here, that when it, when time comes, they'll 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 fight for their freedom as opposed to like you know just falling under tyranny. Even though people took that vaccine, but I don't think when they try to do other stuff like to to get rid of the, the UN. I think what happened recently with the whole UN thing with um with, uh, with our country is that the WHO does not have authority over a pandemic in this country. So that's good, but it could still be voted at some point when they meet again. Again, you know. Mm-hmm. But you're not telling me how to fix the world. <laughs> well, I mean, if I could fix the world, I'll be. I wouldn't be doing this interview with you, right? I'd be like, hey, this is this was this is how you fix the world. You maybe homeschool people, maybe change the way people. Because what you like the educational system working in higher ed. Seeing what in education become, education is indoctrination. There is no, um, there is no debate or discourse on certain matters. It's either you go along the company line, and this is what it is. Like the things I'm telling you about this. When we talk about this vaccine objectively, and you bring up facts like, hey, most vaccines get tested on animals. Most vaccines go through a three to five year process before they get approved. You know, most vaccines provide an immunization. You know what I'm saying? You never heard a vaccine marketed well. It'll prevent your. It'll prevent the the hospitals from the emergency rooms from being overrun, and you won't get as badly sick. That makes no sense. Immunization means immunized. You get immunized. People take vaccines. The traditional definition for a vaccine was a medicine or something that provides immunization. If you're taking something that is not providing immunization, it probably isn't a vaccine. Some people say it's, it's, it's more like a gene therapy. 
I'm not getting into the, the biology of all this stuff or the chemistry of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that in my lifetime, vaccines improved immunity. And if you're not getting immunity from a vaccine, that means the vaccine is, to me, for my common sense, not effective. So we could go there right now, it's not effective. Now, in 19, I think it was 1974, 1975, right when I was being born, they had like the swine flu in this country, right? The government came out to try to put out a swine flu vaccine. I think 25 people died in the trials of that. Mm -hmm. And you know what? They pulled the vaccine. Now we have verified evidence that exponentially more people in 2021 have died from that vaccine and it's still being marketed and distributed. That's mind blowing to me. The Pfizer document is like, people have been harmed for this vaccine. I'll tell you, my mom cannot walk right now a few weeks after taking a vaccine. You know, I know someone that came up stage four cancer out of nowhere after they boosted the vaccine, a medical professional. People are being harmed by this vaccine, whether the news reported or not. There's enough resources out here where you can find that people are being harmed by the vaccine. And when there, where there is, where there is a, a chance of harm, there must be choice. So if there must be choice, it shouldn't be mandated. Period. End of story. You know? And that's why I have the confidence that I have that at some point, I will not rest until my dying day until I get recourse from the institution I worked for the last 18 years that I went to work for during a pandemic. Unless I get, I'm going to get recourse from them. I'm totally confident in that because I took initiative. I sent them a questionnaire trying to get informed consent. I haven't received informed consent. And basically it took away my livelihood because I don't want to take a vaccine that is neither safe or effective. Did you want to say anything about your um, religious subjection to it? Yeah, my religious exemption is that, you know, that um, my beliefs, um, I grew up in a Pentecostal household. As a Christian, I believe my body is my temple. And I don't believe I should be putting anything on my body that could possibly harm my temple. But the thing about religious, religion is subjective. So if you're offering a religious exemption, it should be given without much um, discretion because you're claiming a religious belief for why you should not do something. And that should be suffice. But if you have people who may be reviewing your stuff that don't say the same religious ideology, then their decision is subjective at best. If you're telling me you're denying a religious exemption because of the science, well, then that's 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 a problem because then science and religion is going head to head. And I'm saying if you're going to give religious exemption, people should be given religious exemptions without any denial. What makes my particular situation funny is like I told you, I release I received a religious exemption with a clause. It was reneged upon. Well, I personally help write religious exemptions for colleagues who have received the religious exemption. So all that stuff is problematic right there. You know, it's like, it seems like they gave religious exemptions to who they wanted to give religious exemptions to. So if you're someone like me, who's almost 20 years in the institution, where you can eventually probably get rid of me and then pay someone else substantially less to do my job, that would be profitable to you. You know, so mm -hmm. 
It is what it is. I'm a realist. Like, I look at things from a, you know, um, perspective, bottom line. And the thing is, companies may have used this pandemic to help their bottom line. You know? And someone like me, objecting to a religious exemption, just made their job a lot easier. But I'm not going to rest until I know I'm fairly compensated for um, what I've been put through these past few months. Who was reviewing religious exemptions at um, the, the Office of Equal Opportunity. Okay. So it's OEO, yeah. Okay, so it's somebody there in that office in the university. Yeah, someone there. That's the person that sent it yeah. out to. Yeah. They're the one that sent me their decision. Mm -hmm. They're the one that gave me the exemption, saying that you know it seems that your objection to the vaccine is the st the status of the, by the FDA is that being EUA as opposed to being approved. And like I told you, they changed the language afterwards. So they removed approved and put to fully authorized, even though fully approved with the terms I agreed to. So, yeah, fully approved. Possibly I wouldn't have taken it anyway still, but at least my religion, I can see a justification for revoking my religious exemption if it was approved because that mm -hmm. was the language adjusted. But once you, ch once you change the, the language, so... Like I said, in my case, I have created enough of a paper trail against New York University, and I'll say out their name all the way. Like, I'm not ashamed to, like, take my institution that I worked for the past 18 years to task. I also got a degree from NYU, so I'm an alumni as well. I'm going um, oh, yeah. I'm I'm to I'm gonna go ahead and take them. I'm going to go all the way with this. Because what is being done to me and thousands of other New Yorkers is not right. And it's based on no law. What do you think the scale is? What is your perception of the scale of this in the private sector? Um, I know a few people in my job. I'm not sure how many people, but I would imagine it's pretty high. I'm like, like you said, you believe the number. I don't even believe all the numbers. So let's let's go to some of the numbers here now, right? They're trying to tell you that, what, 87% of New York City is vaccinated. So I'm like one of the 13% in the city that's not vaccinated. I don't believe that. I know people who work in private enterprise that produce fake vaccine cards. I've had access to fake vaccine cards. I've never filled one out. I believe in integrity all across the board. My bodily integrity, my moral integrity. So if I'm objecting to something, I'm objecting to something straightforward. Like, I don't want to be a guinea pig. I believe I don't have to be forced to take a vaccine. That's what it is. I'll deal with the consequences and I'll fight for my rights. Other people mm -hmm. said, you know what? This dude got a bunch of vaccine cards. I can pay a bunch of money and get vaccine cards. So I would say a lot of people are still employed using fake um fake credentials that not the who aren't really vaccinated. I could have easily had that done. I got ex-girlfriends as a nurse. That vaccinated people, I never thought about asking if you fill out a fake vaccine card. But I know many people who are operating under fake vaccine cards. So the thing is, you got to ask yourself, do you believe the government or the city government when they tell you 87% of New York City workers are vaccinated? I would bet to believe that number is a lot less. I think that's uh, out of the whole population, right? They're yeah, New York City population. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's a very high percentage. And if all these people are so protected and vaccinated, why are they still walking around with masks? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the other thing that's so crazy. Like, 
okay, you took a vaccine, you're supposed to be protected, allegedly. But we know it's not effective, so that's why you may have to wear a mask. But I never understood the being double mask, I mean, double vaccinated, double boosted, boosted, and still want to wear a mask. Like, it makes no sense. It's like people mm -hmm. are under some sort of mind control. Mm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what about people? So, something I hear a lot from uh, people in the public sector is that they have coworkers that they talk to who took the vaccine, who didn't want to, who felt like they were forced, they regret it. Um, is that something that you have seen at NYU or elsewhere in the private sector? People who went ahead and complied with the mandate and did it. Well, I know someone that I know, I know a faculty member that took the vaccine and was injured by it and regretted taking it. Um, probably dealing with some health issues now. I know people who took it because you know they got kids, they got young kids, they need to make money. They were scared into taking it. Like I said, I think most people who have took the vaccine and have been injured by it, probably keep that to themselves, um, or ashamed. And many people respect me personally for taking the stance I took. You know, they may not have been able to take the stance, but someone got to take the stance. It's like some people just go along and get along. You know, they can watch the stuff in film. They can show you all this crazy sci-fi predictions or sci-fi conspiracy theory where they force people to take vaccines to depopulate or whatever, and they still went and took vaccines. I mean, not saying that should sway you anyway, but it's like, it's just mind-boggling to me how many people took a vaccine that has virtually no effect, uh, no no um, efficacy. You know what I'm saying? It's like they've shown you that the, it, it's worn off over time. The vaccine does not work. People are vaccinated and getting COVID still. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's just mind blowing to me. It's just like I just—I'll say it over and over again. I can't believe how many people took a vaccine that is an investigational vaccine. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, and working in higher ed, like I know I had colleagues like, "Okay, you should just take it." Blah blah blah. I'm like, no, I'm not taking it under any circumstance. I'm not taking it. We have rights. We have rights in this world. Like, and people are so like people died in this country for people's freedom. And it's like, it's just seems people are just so willing to give their freedoms up. You know what I'm saying? So willing. It's like, you're going back going back to 9-11 again. Yeah, 9-11, okay. Gotta show IDs all the time. Gotta start taking your, your shoes off or going on an airplane. It's like, what's gonna be next? So people just like, anything that comes up, but people just always gonna go ahead and give their freedoms like, oh, okay, I'm gonna take the vaccine because I want things to go back to normal. Well, things are not back to normal. So if you use the excuses for your vaccine to go back to normal, things are not back to normal. People are still going through tons of stuff. You're watching all this crazy stuff on the news every day about what's going on. Like, look at New York City, the subway now. People are scared to be on the subway. You know, crime is just like, it's like people are scared of each other. That's another thing that some of the, the, the what's been most disappointing to me about this whole COVID situation is how many people say they have faith and display none. It's walking around in 2022 still with masks on. They think they're gonna, they don't wanna walk near you. People are walking far from each other. Like, I see people walking down the street, and everybody so bad, they walk by, they put a mask on, like, really quick. Like, what are you doing? You lived your entire life without living like that, 
and because you were propagated with fear over the TV screen for months at a time, 24-7, that's how you're going to live your life. They're showing you, you know what's the most ironic commercial I've seen? It's one of the New York City vaccine commercials. And they got a cartoon character and the Statue of Liberty is holding up the Statue of Liberty and they got the mask on. How are you and the free? Statue of Liberty, yeah. How are you free? Yeah. Are you, how are you living in a free society and the Statue of Liberty got his mask on? It's idiotic. And it's just like, it's laughable because it's like, look at how stupid people are. The, the symbol of freedom is wearing a mask and that's supposed to be free. No. I see that image a lot in all, all kinds of public uh, messages that are put out by the city government. Mm -hmm. It's that, that image of the Statue of Liberty with the mask is on all of their public mm -hmm. service announcements and signs and... <laughs> Um, compare, okay, so you were growing up in New York in the 80s, mm -hmm. right? You went to NYU. Um, compare, you know, pe people are starting to compare the 80s to now in terms of, you know, we're having a resurgence of crime and people are saying, oh, it's, it's going back to the way it was in the 80s. What, what, how would you compare 80s New York to the current situation? Well, 1980, I turned, uh, 1980, I turned six years old. So the 80s for me was from <laughs> six to 16. Okay? Right. Um, the crime. Yeah, New York had a lot of crime back in the 80s. I mean, the thing we had in New York back in the 80s was the crack epidemic. I could walk down the street to go to school and see crack vials. I grew up in Flappish, New York, Flappish, Brooklyn, and see crack vials in the in the concrete. So you had a major drug problem in the 80s. You had a lot of crime. Um, but things were still different than now because, okay, I give I got two little nieces. One's, one's 11, one's eight. They have never gone to school by themselves, meaning that one of their parents take them to school or bring them back from school, right? The 80s were different where there was still a level of safety where people played outside. So you still, I, I traveled to school by myself. A few my elementary school was a few blocks away from me, but then my junior high school was like a good distance from me, but it walked to school or whatever. So there was still safe in that regard where people congregated safely. Like, you know, in the summertime, people were outside. There was more communication. There was, um, okay, I'll give you a funny story. I grew up, this may not mean much to many people outside of New York City, but I grew up on 35th Street and um, between Beverly and Tilden in New York City, fairly a fairly decent-sized block near Holy Cross Cemetery. I can tell you, everyone who lived in my block on both sides of the street from Beverly to Tilden Avenue, meaning there was more of a sense of community even back into the 80s where people knew each other. You had block associations, you had block parties. So people knew each other. I mean, you knew your neighbor, you knew people's names. Now I live in a neighborhood of Marine Park, fairly decent sized block, private houses, and I may know two or three people on the block. So life has changed. Um, there wasn't the internet going on in the 80s. People watched TV. You know, you had a, there wasn't cable wasn't as booming as it is now. So, you know, it was basically like just the regular channels from two to 13. Um, there wasn't mm -hmm. much cable. So 
times have changed. And it seems like the more advanced we got, the more disconnected we got on a humane level with one another. As opposed to now where you have all the technology, you can have friends all over the world, you can communicate. Like we're having an interview over the internet. I never met you before in my life, but we're able to have a conversation. So it's drawing us closer in that regard of knowing strangers or getting to discuss certain subject matter with strangers. But as far as like local communal affairs, that's changed a lot. So now people are disconnected. People are more concerned about themselves. And that's why I think it's also, I'm glad I brought it up because that's why I think it was more easier to implement a mandate like this because everyone's so concerned about themselves, they don't care about anyone else. So it's easy to take advantage of people when people are disconnected. So we may be connected digitally, but we're not connected face-to-face and actually getting to know people's personalities and people's um, morals and concerns. Mm-hmm. Is that something that um, is specific to New York, people becoming disconnected from each other? Is it just about people spending more time with technology um, than they do in person? Or is there something that happened in New York over the years that has made people more disconnected from each other, do you think? I think I think the technology plays a big role in it. Because like, even if you look at the whole COVID lockdown scenarios, right? Now, look at this meeting. We're on Zoom. Now, Zoom has exponentially grown during this pandemic, right? This is this is another piece or another tool that utilized by business to communicate. So even when people have started going back to working in the in a physical space, in-person meetings are not done too much in in physical, the same physical locale anymore. So people are still meeting via Zoom. I tell people a message goes over so much differently in person as opposed to in a Zoom conference. So say this meeting was we 20 times and it was 40 of us on this, right? You couldn't really gauge what's really going on with everybody if you're not in the same space. If you're in the same space, you can see certain physical body language signs that mm-hmm. someone may give off. So I think the detachment for people, I mean, that was something that was that was social engineering at its finest. So, I mean, to get people uh, um, detached from one another, you know? And kind of paying more attention to a central authority that's controlling the Zoom experience as opposed <laughs> to seeing everybody in the room at once and... Yeah, getting ideas, like bouncing real engagement. Like I said, there's always yeah. this conversation is great. I know you often we could have done this in person somewhere, it would have been fine too. But it's this has made it convenient, like, hey, I didn't have to go travel nowhere to come see you today to have this um interview done, you know? <laughs> so in that regard, yes, there is some needs for just meeting my guests, but technology is definitely detached from one another. Mm-hmm. And technology has also made it effective where you can um, filter the information or the, the or the state-sanctioned info. So anything that goes against the narrative, like, you know, you get the little banners on the post, um, click this link for COVID information, as opposed to giving someone just their due diligence to just discern what they want to discern from any information, as opposed to putting, like, I saw it was some prime ministers from some countries saying like if you're not getting truth from us it's not the truth like isn't that crazy i think that was new zealand 
Yeah, but isn't that, isn't yeah. that, just think about that, though. Like, we're the only medium for truth. Anything else, don't listen to. Like, that is crazy to me. Like, that is not sensible, you know? When you were a student at NYU, did, do you feel like it was different then in terms of having an exchange of ideas and having more of a connection to, to people than, than what you see among the kids now? Well, I would say that when I attended NYU, like I was a political science major, right? So in political science, is a very touchy subject matter as far as certain ideologies. So say if you're more libertarian or conservative in your viewpoints, certain papers you may turn in may not get the same reception from the professors because NYU is predominantly a liberal institution. You're talking about That's, now or then when you were a student? I'm talking about when I was a student as well. I'm just saying okay. overall, like, it's like certain ideology. Okay, like, let's, let's be blunt. NYU is a liberal, democratic um, institution for the most part. Make sure it's not. Right? They're, they're a liberal institution. So if you're going to write certain papers that may be taking a different stance of like, politics in the Middle East, if you're taking a different look at that, or you're taking looking at things from a perspective like anything that's anti-leftist establishment, you're going to be looked a little funny. You're going to get you're going to get your paper looked over a little bit differently. You know. So the thing is, like in in institutions at New York University, you're getting a more of a liberal perspective. So a liberal perspective, like to me, is like obey. This is how we look view the world. The, the previous president is the worst person in the world. Um, it's like that. The world can't work like that. You are like our news media is totally controlled by the pharmaceutical industry. Like you watch TV, you watch commercials. There's a pharmaceutical commercial every second on TV. So if that's the case, when you're getting reported about the news about COVID or anything else, you don't expect them to take any sort of stance or ask any serious inquiry in regards to these pharmaceutical companies, no? Because no, because their revenue is being generated for people who are putting out a vaccine. So why would they ever take a serious look at any of the issues people are bringing up that may be contrary to the narrative that is being propagated? You know? And that's the world we're living in. So you're talking about solutions. I mean, solutions like we got to change the impact of corporations on governments. I'm not sure how that's going to happen because <laughs> most of these politicians are bought and paid for both sides of the hour. So it is what it is. It's until the people really get there. Like, I think what's really going to happen this time, if they try to enforce a lockdown again for monkeypox or anything else, I think you'll really see something happen in this country. And across the world, because I don't think people are going to go for a lockdown again for something when you really look at the numbers earlier. OK, it's unfortunate that six million people may have died from COVID globally. And that's being. And that's taking their numbers at face value that over six million people have died from COVID since the beginning. Mm -hmm. But six million people, when you're talking about eight billion people. It's a very small amount of people. And when you really break it down, like I tell people this all the time, in last year, 2021, 
Do you know how many people died on the planet globally? A little bit over 60 million people. That was, that's normal, that's a normal attrition every year on the planet. So I just told you that COVID has killed 6 million since its inception, but 60 million people died on the planet last year. So that's actually one-tenth, COVID has killed one-tenth of the normal global death rate per annum. It's unfortunate, but in the biggest scheme of things, you could die from a whole other things on the planet than COVID-19. And that's the way I look at the world. I look at the world from a macro perspective. It's like, let's look at things for real. Like the hysteria, the numbers to me for COVID didn't match the hysteria at all. And it sure wasn't worth damaging our economy. What would you like to see other people, other New Yorkers do in the face of everything that you've just described? Well, one thing I would like to see them do is not fall for another mandate for any vaccine. Like I was against the vaccine mandates even before the, the prime, even before the, the debates when Trump and, and um, Biden were debating about it, talking about vaccine mandates. You cannot live in a free society when you're medical, what you want to do, your body is being mandated. Like, I understand, like, you know, childhood vaccinations. I understand the whole MMR, all the normal series of vaccines when you get when you're younger. Traditional. There's never been a vaccine for a coronavirus in human history until this one. And this one turned out not to work. So it's like, I think you would be, have to be stupid. I'm looking at all these people lining up to take the monkeypox vaccine. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, like, I don't. I just, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get the whole why people just listen to authority. No one's doing, and it's great. I just want to. What I want you to do is use your brain. Everyone was given a brain for a reason. I know we all have different levels of aptitude. I all realize we have different le levels of intelligence. Get it? But there's certain things that people should just question. Like, hey, if I'm seeing something marketed every single day down my throat. For, and I don't see the personal, I haven't had COVID or, I mean, yeah, I know some people might have died of COVID or what they say died of COVID. I don't know what people died of. I don't know, I don't know how many people they killed in the hospital, you know? I mean, there's a lot of things that, this was something very, I used the word, I used the word of one of the, um, I used this the other day in the last email correspondence to my bosses as well as the folks in HR. I said I would be remiss if I didn't tell you how um, how evil all this seems. You know what I'm saying? Like, what they're doing to people, if you want to just break it down to a term, it's evil. You know? And it's like, I think people should resist evil at all costs. Because if you don't, it's going to just consume you. And you're, it, like I said, it'll, it'll be a lot worse later. Like, they'll start rounding people up and like, hey, take this vaccine. Like, you can never let it come to that. You know? Mm -hmm. What have we not talked about that's important? Have I? Ha, is there something I've missed asking you about? I don't think so. Like I said, I think the main message I want to convey is that I believe in individual freedom. Um, we didn't want to sway up into any other narratives, but you know, when the whole Roe v. Wade came down, right? I just found the irony 
where folks were concerned about abortion rights, women's rights and abortion. And I'm not going to say my stance on abortion or whatever the case may be, but if you believe in bodily autonomy for having an abortion, you should believe in bodily autonomy for refusing a vaccine. So to me, we have to be um, uniform across the board in what we object to. If, you're fi- if the fight is for bodily autonomy, that should be a universal fight and bodily autonomy should be across the board. In regards to ma- mandates and stuff, I just want people to know that, hey, mandates aren't laws. They're done at the whim of folks. And when it's time to go to a court of law to prove the rationale behind a mandate, um, companies will have to show the rationale behind enforcing a mandate is not being enforced. I want people to know that if you go back a month ago, I think it was, yeah, I think it was June 23rd. You could go check out the articles. Um, New York City Mayor um, Adam not enforcing New York City private sector mandate. There's tons of articles in that. The city's not enforcing the mandate. So all these private companies that are enforcing the mandate, they're not being backed by the city. And that's going to cause them a lot more headaches moving forward in court when these court, when these cases do come to be when people actually get terminated. I mean, also, I know folks, um, I'm sure you published it recently, but there have been people, teachers and others who have been terminated. And then when they go back and their vaccine status has been changed and is and not their vaccine status, the their employment. Work, employment that has been changed. So these companies know that they can't fire you for not taking a vaccine. There's no law in the books. And like I said, most people were hired without a COVID-19 vaccine as a term of their employment. So if they want, if they can show you how they can put that as a term of employment for their reasoning for dismissing you or putting you on unpaid leave, they'll have to show that in the court of law. So I want people to believe that this is the United States of America still. There's still a constitution. There's still um, halls of justice here. And people could go to court and to seek um, recourse for they feel their rights are being violated. I felt my I feel my rights is being violated by my employer. I look forward to the day in court where I can um, prove that and or be settled before that and just be compensated for what I've been put through. Like I worked somewhere for 18 years. I love working with college students. I thought it kept me young. I got to see different genera- generational perspectives. Mm-hmm. I've done my job with pride. Um, it's just it's just an unfortunate situation where um, you can lose your your source of income because of religious or personal beliefs, and that's where we are right now in America. It is what it is. Well, listen, as your situation evolves, I hope that you'll stay in touch and um, you know let us know how it <laughs> how it turns out. Um, and I really want to wish you the the best for your mother. Um, I know that's a difficult situation to deal with too. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to speak to you. I wish you luck in your endeavors. I'm glad you're taking the opportunity to get, um, our stories across because it's important for people to realize that we're, we're not all made the same. We, we see the world differently and we have a right to um, to claim our rights, you know? Like I told I'll leave you with this. 
I think I mentioned this before in our pre-screening conversation. If you don't have agency over your body, you're a slave. I am not New York University's slave. And anyone being coerced into taking a vaccine for trinkets, I don't think the trinkets are worth it when it's like your integrity, you have to look at yourself in the mirror every day. And I look myself in the mirror every day and I sleep very well at night knowing that I live my, my life the best of my ability and I'm not compromising any of my values for money. And I think the problem is, the, like I mentioned before, the carrot. Everyone is chasing this carrot and they'll do anything for the carrot, even if it means harming themselves. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for talking with me. And thank um, you so much. We'll, we'll stay in touch and talk again. All right. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye bye.